I'm Kevin Barrett of Truth Jihad Radio. I may not be the only Sufi Islamic studies guy interested in the New World Order, but I'm the only one who's had a radio show since 2006. My guest today, Charles Upton, has similar interests. I hope you'll enjoy the show, and if you do like this kind of unorthodox radio, please go to truthjihad.com and subscribe by way of the Patreon button. All right, thanks for listening while we take that short break here at RevolutionRadioFreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. Kevin, is that, Welcome back. Is that hey, this is uh, the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio live. Kevin Barrett here. And now we're for something completely different. We're going to go from the new Cold War, the topic of conversation in the first hour with Professor Michael Brenner, to interfaith issues, a Muslim Christian breakthrough, thanks in part to the Covenants Initiative. The Covenants Initiative is a project that's been spearheaded by John Andrew Morrow and my guest Charles Upton. It's about the covenants of Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, with the Christians of the world. And these are documents that show that Islam has been fully uh, interfaith oriented and pluralistic from the get-go. And this Mm -hmm. is really important information, especially in the post-9-11 era of rampant Islamophobia and clashes between radicals and extremists in the various faith traditions and uh, even more extremist atheists and neocons. Anyway, here to talk about it is the noted poet and traditionalist thinker Charles Upton. So, hey, welcome, Charles, and you're looking great, but you can turn off the camera because it's just radio. Okay, well, I just wanted to make sure I was looking great because if I look great, then I I know I can talk great. That's the way I (laughs) Yep, yeah, you're looking great and talking great. Okay. And we'll have to do a video sometime because I see your Skype connection is working wonderfully now. Back uh, five years ago, we were a little shaky there, but you're coming through loud and clear. So, uh, boy, where do we start? Uh, well, where do we start? I mean, I, I guess, you know, um, can I give a real fast, I've done this a thousand times, maybe so, a very fast introduction and overview of what happened you know, to create such a thing called the Covenants Initiative and what the covenants of the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, are. Basically, in in 2013, my publisher sent me a, uh, a manuscript, you know, because everyone somebody does that, he says, Charles, do you think this is worth publishing? And I looked at it and I said, more than worth publishing, this is going to be the most significant book of the decade from a certain, you know, point of view. And it was uh, a sort of an early draft of Dr. John Andrew Morrow's book, The Covenants of the Prophet Muhammad with the Christians of the World. And basically, I mean, this was when ISIS was developing. And somehow concurrently, years of research on his part had come to fruition at the same moment in which he brought forward six different documents, which were covenants or treaties that uh, Muhammad made with Christian communities of his time and they uniformly command all Muslims until the end of time not to attack or rob or damage the buildings of peaceful Christians, Christians who are living in peace with Islam, uh, nor even prevent their Christian wives from going to church. Muslims should not prevent their Christian wives 
from going to church and taking a direction from the spiritual elders. And if a church falls into disrepair, it would be a pious act on the part of Muslims to help their Christian neighbors rebuild the church and like this. And what a time for, for these documents to come out. And Dr. Moreau just did a huge amount of scholarship. I mean, he is he is a scholar scholarship warrior, if I've ever met one. I mean, you know, so um, he uh, did extensive scholarship on, you know, proving the validity of these documents and also where there was uncertainty. He wasn't didn't mind saying there was uncertainty as to the validity of certain certain ones or certain versions and it said you know very balanced but incredibly thorough and uh <clears throat> you know I, as far as i'm concerned he, he made a capital case you know a great and sterling case for the the uh, um validity of these documents and then he got he then, <clears throat> then he went around and had them translated into 14 languages which most of which have been published as, as smaller uh, pamphlets in those different languages um, <clears throat> and um, the scholarship just rolled on from there now during during this time this was done during the Obama administration so he he uh, you know went to the White House as a part of a Muslim delegation and um, there, there, there are more parts than I can tell you of this you know uh, it became an international movement between 2013 and say 2018 and um, what what uh, what happened in 2018 is that there was a Christian woman in Pakistan Asiya Bibi who had been for seven years going back and forth through the courts you know in, in, incarcerated possibly you know facing a death sentence because something on the order of she had met some Muslim women somewhere who who, who dissed Jesus so she went back and and dissed Muhammad. And said, what did your prophet ever do? You know, uh, you know, father of my religion, the son of God. What did your prophet ever do? You know, as, as in a response to being dissed as a Christian. And so, this became, this is a capital offense in Pakistan. So it went back and forth, back and forth, and then finally she was acquitted in 2018, and the Pakistan Supreme Court um, cited Dr. Morrow's book, The Co Covenants of the Prophet Muhammad, with the Christians of the world, as part of the reason that they made that decision. So we could say, well, seven years work, we at least maybe saved one life, which is a lot, <laughs> you know. Yeah, saving one person is like saving all of humanity. Yeah, right? that's what it says in the Quran. Exactly, exactly. So that's a lot. So yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. And, and, and yeah. we we didn't even obviously we didn't do it all ourselves, but you know, but we we were we contributed to, to that outcome. So right. So uh, let's see, and, and so it, this was. There was a, a, a large political aspect to this move, movement during the Obama administration and during the Trump administration. Uh, you know, we uh, we were instrumental also, partly with, with other players, in getting John Kerry uh, in the Obama years to uh, actually to, to getting Congress to come out with a unanimous yet non-binding resolution uh, declaring uh, the actions of ISIS war crimes. Which hadn't been done before, which opened the door to certain things that the UN can do. I don't know the, all the ins and out, outs of that. And then John Kerry came out and made the same declaration. And we we were uh, we did this um, partly through a Change.org um, petition. And uh, there were other people 
who did, everybody jumped on it at the same time, and then we looked at each other and says, "Did you think of that, or or did we think of that?" We said, "I don't know," you know, but it it happened. It all happened at the same time. But Stars and Stripes, the premier um, armed forces uh, publication, credited us as being, you know, partly instrumental in, in getting getting that outcome. So very political. And then you know. Uh, you know now now who you know the whole political landscape has changed we're in a different administration we don't know you know the, the forces are unclear that we were working with before but and so i was the the more political side of it i guess although i can't say that as moral totally political as, as, as soon as i said to him which i did say i said to him look um our, our press can publish this book but uh, in terms of we can't do much marketing for you because we don't have a budget but I think we can make a movement out of it. And that was my idea. That was, I was the catalyst for that idea. So, boom, it did become a movement because it was all there, all the work that Dr. Morrow had done and the, the, the obvious significance of these documents, all there, so it happened. Then uh, then the political part, you know, was, you know, started to fade back and be put on the back burner. So since, you know, for the next past, two or three years, I've just been playing catch up with Dr. Morrow, whose scholarship has been just expanding incredibly. I mean, he, you know, he was, tra he traveled the world. He, tra he went to Iraq. He met, he met Alexander Dugan in Iraq. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I, I met him in Tehran. And then oh, you, yeah, you well, wrote, you wrote about him. We both went, we met him, but you wrote about him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I wrote a book about him. I just, we'll, we'll see if that book comes back in irrelevance. That's not irrelevant, but it's awful long. Uh, but anyway, um, so so you know he he went all over Europe speaking to um, national governments, and and he spoke to the EU, and he spoke to spoke at Oxford and Cambridge and the House of Lords, and he you know he just bam you know and and he was pushing his health real hard, and then you know he got to a place where he burned out understandably. And so he just said, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to concentrate on scholarship. So he, he's now managing, he's the, the CEO of his wife's um, consulting, uh, 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 what you'd say, um, you know, psych, psychological, um, you know, therapy firm, whatever you call it. And he sort of lucked out because somehow he, he, he got you know, typed as a, um, this outfit was, was like a necessary service during COVID, you know, probably because they're working a lot with uh, the, um, you know, with, with uh, the law and with the, um, you know, corrections departments and stuff, stuff like this. So, you know, people, there, there was a pipeline of people coming from, from government through them. So, so they got, Pretty well established. Well, I would think counseling and counseling and psychotherapy would definitely be essential during COVID because everybody was going crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, th this was. I mean, I don't know if this was new craziness or just general the kind of craziness that that uh, brings people afoul of the law, you know, which is happening. But it's happening a lot more now, man. Jeez, I heard a statistic. Let's not digress too much, but is it true that? In the past few months, new applications for guns in the state of Illinois alone are like five million. I heard that. You never know. You never know what you hear. I heard that. I mean, everybody's arming. 
and everybody's digging bunkers and you know so anyway i'm not doing that i'm not doing i'm just i'm, I'm pretending that, that it's i'm still in the 60s you know being tr attempting to be laid back anyway so you're, you're, you're going to be sticking a flower into the muzzle of your of your neighbor's gun yeah i i actually saw that in person at the chicago convention in 1968 the the, the hippie girl sticking the flower into the uh barrel of the the national wait, wait a minute this wasn't just a hippie girl doing that you saw the hippie girl uh, well she was the one i saw i don't know how many of them <laughs> I don't know if they had squads. Like the the archetypal, archetypal one who was put on the front pages of all the newspapers. That's, it that's, could you know. be, but I, I couldn't say that for sure. But I saw her anyway. <laughs> well, if you remembered, clearly you weren't there anyway, right? It was the 60s. Yeah, yeah. All right. But um, so anyway, um, I've been catching up with Dr. Morrow. And so what I was going to do for the rest of this time is sort of, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm now going to, as, as we speak, re further familiarize myself with his achievements since um, the political part of this went on the back burner and may come forward any time. But right now, uh, scholarship is what he's been doing. That, that's what he can do while holding down a job, you know, and just his all his free time is not running around the world or around the country speaking at mosques and speaking to governments and speaking here. But he's you know done just amazing scholarship. Yeah, so, he's quite a productive guy. He's incredible. I'll show you how productive he is. Let me go in here. Um, how many books does he have coming out now? Let us see. Let's see if I can sell this thing. Uh, excuse me. So I'm not used to, to doing Skype with a... So you're, you can't count the books he's doing now. I can on count. On one hand, on two hands, I, I you have to take off your shoes. Get this file it in, in the right shape so I can, you know, because I can't, uh, if I knew how to just minimize the Skype pain. Well, while well, well, you're fiddling with Skype, I can tell people about the one that's already out, right? This Islam and the people of the book, uh, critical Well, yeah, that's been out for some time. Islam and the people yeah. of the book. Um, let me see. The question is, if I see, I don't, oh, wait a minute, I, I can move that pain. Okay, that's now it's working. Islam and the People of the Book is the three-volume um, anthology of covenant studies, because basically Dr. Morrow created <clears throat> a new, um, you know, a new department, a new area of study, which maybe there will be a chair of <clears throat> covenant studies at one point. <clears throat> at more than one institution. But anyway, this one was three volumes, and uh, <clears throat> first two volumes, a whole range of scholars, uh, many Muslims, I think some non-religious, and at least one Christian, wrote on different aspects of the covenants of the prophet. And he, he uh, Dr. Moore wrote half the chapters, and everybody else wrote the other half. So there were two volumes of that, and then the third volume was those six covenants that um, that he had you know, brought forward and either translated or found uh, an acceptable translation, whatever, but translated into 14 languages. And all of that material, because the texts are very short, so you can have 14 languages and not have it. But that, that fills the, uh, the third volume, for, you know, for reference. I mean, people want it, there it is. So now, <clears throat> when did that come out? That was been out for some years. Now, he's got three, he's got two more books coming out, 
no, how many books? One. That's not it. Yeah, two more books coming out. All right, he wrote a book called Messenger, The Messenger of Mercy, The Covenants of Coexistence. And this is just a popular version of the covenants of the Prophet Muhammad with the Christians of the world with some new material that, that he's discovered since. Uh, one interesting thing is he discovered uh, Thomas Jefferson's relation to the covenants. Com Thomas Jefferson had publications in his library, which, you know, remember the War of 1812, the British burned uh, the Library of Congress. And so um, what Jefferson did is donate his extensive library, you know, one of the biggest in the country, to the nation to restart the Library of Congress. And in that library were books which included things about the covenants. And, and so Dr. Morrill will speculate on, did the covenants have some influence on documents like the Declaration of Independence? Well, you know, it, no, nothing certain, but it's an interesting question to ask. Then he also found out that the covenants were um, part of what people in the U.S. diplomatic service used to study uh, because they were very important to the Ottoman Empire. They were the basis of the Ottoman Empire's policy toward religious minorities. And so U.S. Uh, diplomats would study them. So very interesting stuff he brought forward. So that's all just, you know, um, a popularized version plus some other stuff of his first book. But it's important because the first book is big and long and ponderous and, and very scholarly. And this is something that anybody could read. Now, this book, it says here, <clears throat> um, published by Sun Bun Publishers in New Delhi. This brings the covenants of the prophet to the second largest English speaking audience in the world, the Indo-Pakistani subcontinent. Easy, accessible work for all readers. Would be very nice if anyone out there knows how we could publish it in this country too. That would be great because you know it's it really uh, it's really accessible and a you know, good book. So the, the the second book that he's coming out with now is I mean, we produced a huge amount of material, um, videos, interviews, and um, and articles. You know all of which are posted somewhere on the web and there are links to them on, on the website of the Covenants of the Prophet Foundation, um, of which I am, as I keep saying, the, uh, the the unpaid executive director of an unfunded foundation. Basically, we did all this on a volunteer basis. A little money came once in a while. Some people would come forward and help us out, you know, on a volunteer basis. But this is not a funded thing. Which which shows that, that that you know there's real content to the covenants and content you know to, to our movement that 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 I hate to say because I'm supposed to be you know doing fundraising but you know it, it, we did amazingly with 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 next to zero funding. So. Well, I think that's a sign of authenticity because if you're I getting all kinds of money from Arthur Daniels Midland. And the, uh, you know, the, the Jeffrey Epstein Foundation or rather the Bill Gates Foundation and all this sort of thing, you know, it's probably a bad sign. Yeah, uh, I, I hate to say so, but I think you're right. I think it's entirely right. Um, so anyway, this one is a collection of, of everything that he produced 
Let's see. And, and it says this chronicles, this is called No Fear Shall Be Upon Them Promoting the Islamic Interfaith Initiative. It's been sent to the publisher, which is Cambridge Scholars of the UK. They also did Islam and the People of the Book. And it says it features all the speeches, sermons, lectures, articles that I delivered, published all over the world. So, so that's going to be, it's going to be a mixed bag, but it's going to be an amazingly rich bag. Um, seeing how many, you know, how many different events we, uh, we, we addressed and responded to. It's, so it's, it's got, it's of historical importance as well. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that uh, you guys, and I think especially uh, Dr. Morrow, because he did the most traveling. Uh, it's well, a good he, thing he got that traveling done. 90% of the work. I mean, yeah. you know, well, well, yeah. what I say about my role is, you know, I, I saw a, a TED talk um, once which said that the most important person in any movement is the first follower. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, uh, like yeah, St. Like, Paul, like St. Paul, Paul. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean. He, he's the one that, that, that made Christianity, a, you know, the beginning of a world religion. So, and then he wasn't the first follower. I mean, you know, they were the, the, the apostles, honestly. But what I did is, is, what I contributed is I saw what Dr. Morrow had accomplished. And he didn't quite see that to begin with. He was working at a, at a sort of, um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Not, not the highest institution of high, higher learning in the world, you know, um, tr trying to be a world-class scholar when he's working for, for a sort of a second-string institution, which uh, did not well, appreciate. Probably a heavy teaching load. Yeah, and, and you, you, say, you know, I'm, you know I, 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 I've, got, I've got to go to Europe, you know, to, to, to speak to, to, to the heads of state of, of all the European nations, the, the House of Lords, Oxford and Cambridge, you know, and... and uh, you know, to, to bring um, to bring renown to my institution, and it was, you know, you're just trying to get out of work, you know, which is, it's understandable. They 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 have you know their needs and and but in other words, they were not equipped to see. I mean, if he'd been at Harvard, yeah. they would have yeah, said you need hey, to be at a research institution, not so much a teaching college. Yeah, it would have to be a research institution or one with a big research component. But, but anyway, so. Uh, but anyway, he, he, he had come forward with some covenants he'd found in different sources and had translated them and did some commentary. And his first idea that he was he was like republishing somebody else's book with, with extensive commentary by himself. And I just said, no, this is your book. And it's, it's incredible. It's a great book, but it is your book. And he said, oh, right. And then he went ahead and did it. You know, and then I said to my publisher, you know, we got to publish this. I worked my ass off, you know, saying this must be done. If you do this, if you don't do this, you will have missed the historical, you know, destiny, blah, blah, blah. And I did that. And then the other thing is, um, you know, basically, I said we can make a movement out of it. This, we, we, we have to do this make a political movement and a scholarly movement at the same time, which worked really well because the scholarship, you know, they fed each other. They fed each other. And, and uh, so there was synergy. You know, it, it didn't last, you know, until now, although it may come back. And it's still it's still there in, a, in, in some sense. But the real point of synergy between the political movement and, and the scholarship was during Obama and Trump. And, 
you know, that's what I did. I saw what it was, and 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 so I was the catalyst. You know, and if I hadn't seen it, it may, might, you know, because and he, but Dr. Moore had done all the work, scholarly work before that, and then after that, he knocked his ass. I mean, he he did things I could never have done, traveling the world, you know, pushing his health to the limit. Um, you know, he 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 went to Abu Dhabi. You know, he went he went everywhere. Um, so, you know, that was my function anyway in it. So, so and the third thing, a, a publication uh, that I should be talking about is People of the Book, Muhammad, uh, Prophet Muhammad's Encounters with Christians. Now, this is by uh, Catholic uh, Professor Craig Considine. It's a very interesting book. I mean, it, it isn't out yet, but I just, just before, uh, you know, you contacted me, I was looking at... The uh, let's get it. Let me minimize this a little bit. Okay, I was looking at the um, PDF of it, which uh, Dr. Morrow just sent me. Isn't out yet, but it's very interesting. It's I mean he he's talking about the origins of Islam, um, and let me see, he's saying. Well, the chapters are monks and merchants, where he's talking about, you know, um, you know who, who uh, Muhammad was and his relation to Khadija. You know, there's one, angels and mystics, allies and prophets, citizens and rebels, guests and hosts, symbols and souls. So um, it's, it's a, um, basically an overview of the origins of Islam with the interfaith element completely integrated. And, and very, you know, very well argued and very well researched. So it's it's like the story of interfaith Islam from the beginning, um, mm-hmm. from, from a Catholic standpoint. So. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating. A lot of Christians don't realize that from the very beginning, Islam was largely pro-Christian. I mean, in the Quran, there's that uh, surah of Rome that begins, now, the Romans have been defeated but in, in the nearer land, but after their defeat, they will win. And this prophecy that the Byzantine Christians would win, even though they were nearly utterly crushed at that moment, uh, later came true. And that was seen as good news for the Muslim community because they were people of the book. They worshipped the same God. So there was this very strong kind of pro-Christian element uh, right there in Islam from the very beginning. And of course, the Quran says that among you know, the people who will be the best friends of, of the Muslims will be those who say we are Christians right. uh, and so on. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there would have been a, a pro-Jewish element. I mean, there's there are some uh, covenants with Jews. And actually, there are some Jews who fought with us uh, with on the side of the Muslims in the early wars. Uh, and, and they were acknowledged in covenants that were, were given by the prophet. Well, I think it's a bit more ambivalent with with regard to Jews. Oh, that yes, is, it's, it's much more yeah. ambivalent. You know, I just I just want want us to to point out it wasn't it wasn't all wasn't yeah. all negative. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're we're assured that there are there are good uh, God fearing people in both communities. Yeah, 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 and and so that seems to be something that contemporary Christians really don't understand. You know, it's, it seems like the Christian world has seen Islam as an enemy uh, forever. And the Islamic world has not so much seen Christianity as an enemy, although in real politics, sometimes 
Muslim polities have you know, demonized the other and gone to war with them, just like everybody else has. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's not exactly symmetrical. It's there's well, more. Well, it's not symmetrical yeah. because theologically, Islam under you know accepts the validity of the of the Christian revelation, although reserving the right to caution against, I would say, the excesses of Trinitarianism. I wouldn't say. I mean. The, the, this this is a much much subtler argument and and story that, that that's coming out in a book of mine, uh, which is called the way forward for perennialism, uh, was subtitled after the antinomianism of Fritjof Schoen. But anyway, it's about the way forward for perennialism talks about different ways that interfaith dialogue can take place on a deep level, really respecting the the, the primary. Um, uh, dogmas and doctrines of, of the revealed faiths and not trying just to find an average <laughs> but seeing you know, what's the real like uh, certainly the, the Quran is, is, it comes down very hard on Trinitarianism or certain aspects of Trinitarianism certain interpretations you know, far be, you know God is not one of three well Christians don't think he's one of three either. You know, so so you you could get a little deeper in there and see exactly what's being said. And you know, the fact remains that you know the first covenant was as as you and I know was granted to the uh, monastery of St. Catherine's in Sinai. And they were Byzantines. That they, you know, some of the other Christian groups that that Muhammad um, made treaties with were uh, considered heretical by the Byzantines. They were historians or Arians, you know. But these people in, in uh, the Sinai were, you know, spit and polished 100% Trinitarian, straight Greek Orthodox Christians. And yet he accepted them completely. So you see that he accepted as believers. He used the term mu'minin, not just for Muslims, but for Christians and Jews, you know, who, who were you know, uh, who accepted his prophethood. Um, so, so he um, he understood, he, he accepted the, the Byzantine Christians, you know, the Orthodox Christians as part of his religious federation, his federation of the peoples of the book, which is what he was trying to do. And if he had thought that, that Trinitarianism was just heretical or wrong, or it was like worshiping, you know, pagan gods, he wouldn't have done that. So I, I think his view of Trinitarianism was a bit more nuanced. There's no, no uh, it's entirely certain that Muslims are supposed to relate to God through his unmediated unity. On the other hand, Ibn Arabi has a kind of a Trinitarianism, which is not the same as Christian Trinitarianism, but it's there. But, you know, then this is an argument that, that, that is a bit subtle, but, you know, uh, Ibn Arabi's Trinitarianism comes directly out of his Unitarianism. It was, it's necessary to see God in three different ways because God is one. But, but there's God in the human being, you know, our, our deepest essence. There's God underlying all the forms of the universe, and there's God beyond everything that we can know, you know, unknowable, totally transcendent. Mm -hmm. But they're all the same God, you know, because because God is is, is one and, and God is also universal. 
And so at one in one way of looking at it, that shakes out as a Trinitarian view. I think that's what Ibn Arabi was up to, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds roughly right to me. And yeah, and, okay. yeah and the, the Quran, of course, does uh, repeat over and over in various ways that there is is this uh, pluralism that the the other the religious other is is not just tolerated but but affirmed uh as an other there's the it, i actually just did a chutbah today about the uh in surah in uh, surah there's the uh the verse that for every community god says we have appointed sacred rituals for them to perform and yeah. so don't get into disputes with them about it uh, and it, ultimately, we're told that God will inform us of, you know, who was right and who was off, you know, off target. Yeah, or, or, or just or just of our differences. I mean, you know, the, 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 the assumption is in, in the verses of the Quran where he says, you know, in, in the next world, he will in, inform you as to that wherein you differed. But it's not necessarily as to say one is totally right and the other is totally wrong. Maybe right. he will inform us a, a, as to what a sort of it, eternal pluralism of the names of God would be in, from the standpoint of the, of the next world. Yeah. Right. So, so there is this acceptance of other religious communities that have other rights and that's, uh, that's good. That's okay. It's actually affirmed. It's not something that's supposed to be abolished. You know, right. And, yeah. And, yeah. And that's unusual. Most religions don't have that kind of affirmation of the other. No, I mean, the, the only other one that I would say does in, in a different way is Hinduism, uh, because Hinduism, after all, if you look back, I mean, it, it's a vast conglomeration of God knows how many cults from God knows how many directions, which were all ultimately unified in, in some way, not perfectly, but you know, that they're all under, under the same, uh, they're not all the Vedanta, but the Vedanta looks at them and can see the unity of God in every one of them. So, uh, certainly, you know, the Hindus had that, um, you know, and they had the concept of the Sanatana Dharma, which is the primordial original religion of humanity. So, uh, but for, for our own time and for our own needs, Islam is, is truly uh, could be understood as a very viable interfaith approach to religion. Now, interfaith is dangerous because first, there's a tendency towards syncretism, saying each of the religions has a fragment of the truth. So if we put them all together and make the big jigsaw puzzle and you know and get the get the big picture, we'll have a complete religion, which is wrong because each religion is is absolutely uh, sufficient unto itself and has everything uh, anyone needs for salvation and and is, is a complete revelation by God. And so since each is complete, they don't need to be added to each other and they can't be added to each other. That's one of the first problems. The next problem is the idea of a one world religion is being heavily sponsored by the globalists. And this is something that's not sufficiently understood. Anybody who wants to look at this should get a hold of a book that by Lee Penn that I edited quite a few years ago called A False Dawn, the United Religions Initiative which was, you know, one of the attempts at a one world religion, the United Religions Initiative, Globalism and the Quest for a One World Religion. And it just talks about, God, you know, the, the, uh, the amazing subsidies and, and uh, uh, influences of national governments, the State Department, 
globalist foundations, you know, you name it, you know, all putting their fingers in the interfaith pie, trying, you know, to use religion for the purpose of, of, of gaining secular power in the world or putting religions under secular power. So, you know, this is one of the dangers of, of interfaith. But what's great about the covenants is it shows uh, a way to do that, that that does not fall into the globalist trap, you know, which ultimately is, is could end up to be all the religions are going to be managed by, by an international, uh, you know, organization or or network of 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 power sources or whatever you want to call it that, that is basically secular you know we could we could have atheists dictating to all the religions which we can see we're getting close to in some ways and and but but so on on the ground of interfaith the covenants show a way of doing interfaith that is in line with the explicit will of god not in the line with with secular um you know secular needs and beliefs and and uh you know things that that can be traced back to the french revolution which was basically a revolution against god you know whether the covenants have a universal doctrine of human rights that owes nothing to the atheistic french revolution or the atheistic russian revolution and yet it it, it approaches some of the same good aspects of those revolutions, but from an entirely spiritual and revealed divine standpoint. That's what's so great about the covenants. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's interesting that the covenants tend to defuse the tension between the revealed religions. And that comes at a time when religious people, and especially Muslims, have felt like they're under fire and felt like they're being uh, encroached on and marginalized and ultimately being put out of business. And so well, and, the, it, yeah, I, I know that Christians are feeling the same thing. Yeah, exactly. But, but because, see, the covenants. You know, and, yeah. and what's what's happening with, because my wife is a Christian, she's a traditional Catholic. And so, and, and you know, I, I have a lot of background as a Christian and as a Christian religious activist as well, back in the 1980s. So what we see is, is, is that Christianity is being uh, marginalized and, you know, it's, it's, it no longer has its position as, you know, the major civic religion in the Western nations, although it's sort of is living on the ghost of that, the feeling that well, we're the Christians and this is a Christian nation. Well, not really, not, not the way it was. You know, the, the, the Catholic bishops came out and said to President Biden, if you're going to support um, abortion, we will deny you the Holy Eucharist. <laughs> and the response to that was, well, if the Catholic Church is going to say that, they're going to lose their uh, nonprofit status. That was one of the threats. So the Catholic Church does not have the strength it used to. If you go back to World War II, and all of the films about World War II and, 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 and the newsreels and, and the propaganda films and all this, it's 100% Catholic. Every time you show, you know, the, uh, the chaplain, it's a Catholic chaplain. You show Catholic masses on, 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 the, on the decks of warships. You know, it's 100%. And the Catholics had the power to say no pornography, you know, you know no, no uh, uh, 
nothing obscene in Hollywood films. You know, they they had that power. It's gone now, you know. Well, Dr. E. Michael Jones, who's a regular now on False Flag Weekly News, has his views of that. And to really boil it down and oversimplify, he thinks that there are these three groups struggling for power in America, Catholics, Protestants, and Jews. And the Catholics dominated up through around World War II. Yeah. And since then, the Jews have taken over. And well, the that, Jews... That, that yeah. sounds real. And, and, you know, the Protestants have or have had their position, you know, in, politically speaking. But... Um, I don't think even Trump can really uh, appeal to them on the level of religion, you know? I mean, a lot of the people he's dealing with are happen to be Protestants, you know, white Protestants, but, and, and he he's, he's a, was, appeals to them because they feel they're getting marginalized, they're losing their position. But he, I, I don't notice him saying anything interesting that, that, that a Protestant would respond to simply as a Protestant. Well, and the Jews have prospered by uh, through secularism to a great extent, as Michael Jones explains, that leading uh, Jewish uh, thinkers and, and the money power in the Jewish world has tended to work against uh, Christian values and Catholic values and kind of break them down on behalf of secularism. And that, that seeing yeah. that, that that's worked, that many Christians are doing the same thing. That is, they're, they're becoming less and less Christian and you know, Biden and the other uh, so-called Catholics yeah. who support abortion. And, and, and now if we look at the culture, as you said, the, the, the public religion, uh, the, the real religion now, you can figure out what it is by looking at what is heretical, what is considered uh, blasphemous, you know, what will be punished, what and what gets punished, right. speech that gets punished, that's that's heresy, blasphemy, and, and that'll tell you what religion is. So you're punished if you dispute anything about the Holy Holocaust, you're punished if you say anything about the Holy Vaccine, you'll be erased from YouTube, yeah. uh, if you uh, say anything against the Holy Transsexuals, uh, right. you'll be you'll be punished and banished from exactly. that company. So, exactly. so this is a strange new religion, isn't it? Yeah, and when it comes to Islam, I've seen that, that, that Muslims have been teased with the idea, you know, by, by the powers that be that, well, you know, we, we're, we're not interested in the Christians anymore. We're turning against the Christians. We're marginalizing the Christians. So maybe you're next. Maybe you can be the next um, civic religion in this country. It, it will never happen. But, but there, there is that temptation that's being floated before Muslims to get them to follow, for example, the, 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 the uh, Democratic Party uh, line that, that you just uh, encapsulated, right? If, we, if you follow this line, we'll protect you from the Islamophobes, Trump and these people, and maybe you can be the new religion, you know, the, like Christianity used to be. And that's, it'll never happen, but... But there are some Muslim leaders who respond consciously or not to, to, to that uh, to that false uh, false hope. Right. But, you know, what kind of Islam would that be if it's uh, joining the uh, the the what uh, identity politics Democrats in <laughs> yeah. worshiping uh, the people of Lut? You know, I mean, this is, yeah. that, that, that's not Islam. It's not Islam. But but there are a lot of people calling themselves Muslims who are going in that direction still. You know, it's the, unfortunately so. Yeah, yeah, we're living in, in crazy times. And well, the point I was I was trying to make earlier is that even though the covenants uh, seems to basically heal a certain divide, uh, especially between Christians and Muslims, and to some extent, religious Jews as well, it, it yeah. heals this religious divide. Yet, 
what is happening then is is that 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 sense that we're under attack that we all have this correct sense that we're under attack if we look at where that's really coming from it's coming from militant uh atheism secularism and perhaps so even some demonic forces well yeah uh, i mean satanism has come out of the closet you know i mean really you know not now you have to take that as a when a church is burned and there are still plenty of churches being burned. Uh, you have to say, did the Satanists do it? You should. People should have been asking that question a long time ago. But they said, oh, it couldn't be Satanists. It's probably just a bunch of crazy kids, you know. Right. So maybe they're crazy kids too, or maybe all the crazy kids are Satanists, which is also possible. <laughs> I think there's an overlap between those two groups: the yeah, crazy kids and Satanists. <laughs> but, but unfortunately, I think the Satanists go go up higher than the crazy kids. That is that it appears that people like Michael Aquino, who after uh, somehow escaping uh, conviction for horrific abuse at the Presidio right. military right. base daycare center, was then promoted to be head of all U.S. Uh, psychological warfare operations. Uh, and, and he was the guy who was kicked out of the Church of Satan for being too evil. So he had to start his own competing too, satanic group. Obvious. Maybe we just say too obvious. But anyway, yeah. and, <laughs> and, you know, the, the, this leads to another book of mine, which I will not belabor, but it's called uh, The Alien Disclosure Deception, uh, the, met, the Metaphysics of, of Social Engineering. Yeah, and, don't say too much about that because we want to bring you back no, to sell the book I, when it comes out. You, you just touched on what that, what some of the stuff that book will, will be about. Okay, so since we have 15 minutes, let me go through just some of the other stuff we've been doing here. Um, I mean, that's his books. Let me get, um, go down what I've written down. It was interesting when uh, Pope Francis met met with Ayatollah Sistani in, uh, in Iraq, um, there's a group called the CAUX Roundtable for Moral Capitalism that's been studying the covenants along with the Vatican. They're in contact with the Vatican. And, and so they contacted Sistanese people and the Vatican. And they said, and they were reporting this to us, and they said, is it time for you guys to come out and talk about the covenants? And apparently both sides said, we feel this is premature. So anyway... That was an interesting moment. Um, now, Dr. Morris says here, uh, some Filipino dude reading the covenants of the prophet looks like he has two million likes on his Facebook page. Two million people. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, that's um, more than tr Truth Jihad Radio's ever gotten. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, and, and you know, once I get my head out, out of so many other complications in my life i'm going to see it, how many of these i can follow up but anyway so so moral also says well believe it or not the unitarian universalists have been presented with a proposal to include islam specifically the covenants of the prophet as sources of inspiration because you know the unitarians have a sort of a canon of sources of inspiration which is christianity judaism and they may have maybe have some other stuff and uh now that there's a proposal that the covenants or Islam through the eyes of the covenants be included as a source of inspiration. So that, well, that, has, that hasn't yeah. happened yet, but that may. Well, um, you know, we, we don't want to start claiming that the covenants are, are like more authoritative than the Quran. I mean, the Unitarians should should accept uh, that, you know, the Quran yeah, is. Start is, with the Quran, right. Yeah, and, yeah. and in fact, what I see in terms of the Quran, what I see is this. That I think I think the covenants, since they have a real paper trail and a real scholarly 
proof of, of their history and their provenance, to a certain degree are more, um, more authoritative than a lot of the Hadith. And we don't know. See, the Hadith ha have, have wonderful treasures in them, and then it ha they have a lot of trash. And how do we separate this? We don't know. But it's interesting, when you look at the covenants, you can see the prophet's actual practice during his lifetime in relation to other religions. Then, once you see that, you can go back to the Quran and look at the various verses that have been interpreted different ways about how Muslims are to relate to, to, to other religions. Are they, all the other religions abrogated by Islam? Well, look at what the prophet did, which is in the covenants. Then you can determine what those verses in, in the Quran really mean. So, so the, the, the covenants have a function in tafsir as well, a very important function. Yes. So, so anyway, uh, what else do we got here? 12 minutes. Um, there's somebody in Turkey who wrote an article about uh, the uh, Hagia Sophia and uh, St. Catherine's Monastery, and, and his conclusion is, in, in terms of the covenants, quotes from the covenants is, Conclusion is the Hagia Sophia ought to be a church because yeah. of what the covenants say. So anyway. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm for that. And as you probably know, Sheikh Imran Hussein is too. He's uh, very outspoken on that. And he's gotten some people, including in Turkey, uh, angry at him about it. But God bless him. I think he's he's absolutely right. That, that, that Yeah, I mean, because, yeah. you know, his his uh, eschatology is a bit worrying to me, you know. Well, that, yeah, yeah. Like, like Dugan's is. But, you know, I yeah. guess eschatology is worrying in, in essence. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. The end of the world is always just around the corner. And it always has been. But it sure looks even more realistic now than it used to. Yeah, it's, it's now. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's closer. So. Um, so th there's a, an, another article which uh, Dr. Morrow sent me, and he, and, and he describes Johanna ibn Rubah, the 7th century ruler and bishop of Ayla, a city at the head of the Gulf of Aqaba on the Red Sea, was crucified and martyred by the Byzantines upon the order of Heraclius, Emperor Heraclius, Heraclius for refusing to violate the covenant of the prophet with the Christians. So somebody wrote an article on that. And Dr. Moore says, I propose that we call for his canonization. Well, I'll have to think about that. You know, that's interesting because he was, you know, uh, he was he was not a Nestorian. He was not an Arian. You know, he was a Orthodox or perhaps Catholic. I'll have, I'll have to go in and see exactly, you know, more about who he was. So that's an, another thing that's, that's come our way. And that looks interesting because, you know, I don't I don't know a whole lot about that history, I recall reading in Martin Ling's uh, version of the Sira or the biography of right, right. Muhammad, peace upon him, that Heraclius was actually rather friendly to Muhammad, but was uh, it was forced to reject his overtures by advisors. Well, but privately, he, he was sympathetic. Could, yeah, uh, could be. So I read that book a long time ago. I don't remember exactly. So. Uh, so anyway, Dr. Moore goes on, imagine that a bishop, bishop who met the Prophet Muhammad, a bishop who received a covenant from the Prophet Muhammad, and a bishop who, who preferred to be crucified and martyred rather than break the, the agreement he had made with Muhammad. If he was not a saint, he was clearly a martyr. He preferred to stand with the Prophet Muhammad and the principles he espoused, as opposed to stand by his own people, the Byzantine Christians, or his own, his own authorities, his own leaders, whatever. He clearly felt more connected to Muhammad, felt that he was closer to Christian principles. Well, could be. Um, 
No, yeah, that, that's interesting. I, yeah, I'll no, have no, to no, look he, into he it. Asks, he asks me if, if I should start the campaign for the canonization of... Uh, well, wait, how, how can Muslims uh, try to campaign to canonize people within the Christian church? <laughs> <laughs> well, who, who knows now? I mean, you know, after the Pope has, has done his rapprochement with uh, the uh, Grand Sheikh of Al-Ajar, who knows? Yeah, well, I could talk to my Christian friends about it. I wonder if E. Michael Jones would be interested. Probably not. Um, I, I haven't, you know, Mike is uh, sympathetic to Islam in certain respects. He uh, he thinks Islam, or rather Iran, is about as close as it gets to a kind of world, earthly paradise. Uh, he wishes America were a lot more like Iran, well, uh, except I mean, Catholic instead of I like uh, the, Shia the old architecture better. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea the actual state of Iran now, but... Yeah. You know, last time I was there, which was, what, 2018 or 19, it was right before they banned me and the FBI said that if any of us go back there, they're going to arrest us if we try yeah. to return to the USA. It's a few years back, but it's uh, it, it's beautiful. And when I was there, the economy was not dead in the water by any means. It was booming. Yeah. And, and what I really liked was the family values uh, that I saw when I took a stroll through a city park right before I left, the second to last time I was there. I saw families out there enjoying the city park, playing every game known to humanity, uh, from croquet to volleyball to they had all everything frisbees and just and like it used to be here. Exactly, you and know? I had to compare that park to that, that, my that's experience. That's why I, I like like Kentucky because it's the way California used to be. Exactly. You know? You know, because comparing that park in Tehran to Golden Gate Park, San Francisco, a beautiful park. I used to park yeah. my motorhome and my school bus beside it and live next to it. Golden Gate Park was my backyard. But when I went running in Golden Gate Park, I couldn't run barefoot because there might be needles and I might trip on homosexuals doing uh, fornicating in the bushes. Yeah, it's like that. There was, you know, there, there beer ba beer cans and like Central Park in New York has some issues, too. Uh, it's not as bad as it used to be. But I'll tell you. Tehran's parks are family paradise compared to American urban parks. Yeah, and you know there, there may be some places. I mean, years ago, I remember running into a park. It was a park like that, some place in Tennessee. I was driving through, beautiful. You know, just like I said, this is this is the way life ought to be. There may still be places like that in this country. Who knows? So anyway, the, the other thing is, Dr. Moore has discovered at least one new covenant, uh, and. Possibly, I mean, I, I need to get clear on how many is discovered. He sends me these articles, and I don't put them all in one place. But there's, uh, he's discovered at least one new covenant, and also uh, there's a covenant that, that, that he talked about in, in the covenants of the Prophet Muhammad of the Christians of the world. He discovered major scholarly support for, you know, its validity, and so you know, his his scholarship continues, and uh, and now people are. Basically, let's see, how does he put it? Let me find the thing here. Okay, and we have exactly two minutes left. Two minutes. Can I do it? <laughs> let's see. Desktop, Kevin Barrett interview. Okay, the clock um, is ticking, tick, 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 okay. tick, tick, tick. Well, he just says we, we've gotten, oh, his, his, his last, uh, last, uh, yeah. So he says, so thanks to all our activists and supporters, we've made major strides since 2013, no longer merely novel or controversial. The covenants of the prophet have gained credibility and legitimacy. Well, that's the story. Yeah, that's a, a fantastic story. It's one of the, the greatest stories out there. And 
Yeah, and I just I just wish uh, Michael Wolf, who was going to do a, a, a documentary on us, but the, the uh, um, funding fell through. You know, I, I hope you'll pick up that idea because, you know, it's, it is a great story. It could be told in that form. Well, anybody listening here who has any connections to people who could do documentaries or uh, put stuff out in the mainstream media, I mean, this uh, it's maybe a little scary, but, you know, it's not like the you know year after 9-11 when any friendship between Muslims and Americans or Christians was uh, a big threat to the neocon agenda. It's not quite that bad these days. Yeah. So yeah. theoretically, we should be able to get this out there to more people. We should. It, it's, we should it, it is su such a good story. And it and it's a, a positive story, unlike so much of the stuff I cover here at Truth Jihad Radio. And unlike the stuff we'll talk about next time, because, uh, Charles, you're coming back on the show before too long, God willing, to talk about these book projects on the uh, UFO issue, which is, I think it sounds like you're doing fantastic work on that. Can't wait to yeah, see that. that. That's that's basically stuff I've been writing for 20 years. It's stuck away in, in, in a lot of my books, and it's invisible for that reason. I put it all together with new introduction and afterward. And, and in, in response to whatever the Pentagon is up to now with telling us all that the UFOs are real, uh, supposedly that was, you know, Trump told him to do it, but there's gotta be deeper reasons for that because it, you know, once that is said, that just shakes the consensus reality in a very deep way. Yep, something strange is going on, and yeah. we'll try and figure out what it is here on Truth She Had Radio and, and bring you back to talk about that book when it's out. Well, thank you so much, Charles Upton. Keep up the great work, and God well, bless. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Always good to talk with you. Likewise. All right. Take care. Salam alaikum. Alaikum salam. Charles Upton, Kevin Barrett here on Truth She Had Radio, truthjihad.com, where you can find the radio link to get to the write up about this show and other shows. So thank you for listening. See you next week, same time, same channel. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio. The evasion. But that doesn't mean that they're telling the truth as opposed to fiction. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When the sons of God came and also the daughters of men, indicating that there were giants before the Nephilim. And sons of God, plural. They weren't talking about Jesus coming down. No, no, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I'm Steve Crawford, host of Factor Theory Live. Join me every Sunday night from 10 p.m. till midnight Eastern Standard Time on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Check it out. Transcending time and space, let us take you to the place inside your mind where thoughts divide and mysteries unwind. Join us every Monday evening right here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And you will catch the Fenton Perspective with our great host, Lorian Fenton. Come listen in as she shares her amazing stories from the past to present, along with all of her guest secrets to the future. That's the Fenton Perspective every Monday evening right here from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Revolution Radio.
Oh, and uh, you don't need to expect, you don't need us. To expect us. We're already here. We're already here. Hey, everyone. It's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers. 